Church family, if you have your copy of God's Word, let me invite you to open up to the book of Exodus chapter 17, where we look at the latter half of that chapter, where last week we looked at the first part. Today we will look at verses 8 through 16. The older I get, the more I realize that there are various seasons in life, in life cycle, in life stages, where you can feel just so incredibly busy, but you can also feel so incredibly weary at times. And you move in and out of those seasons, whether it be raising your kids or caring, your, caring for your spouse or, or whatever that might be. But what do you do when you are in seasons of weariness? When nothing really seems to go your way. You can't catch a break. It's one thing after the other. You never really feel rested. It could be you're with family multiple times a day over and over again, and, and you're enduring those processes with friends and relationships and, and even perhaps even conflict within work. But what do you do when you're in the midst of those seasons? When nothing quite seems to fall your way. And it's an obstacle after an obstacle, and you endure, you walk forward, and you continue to step forward. What is it that you do? You, you're busy, but you don't really feel rest in the process. Well, the latter half of Exodus 17, I think, gives us a keen insight into a spirit and a rhythm of restfulness that oftentimes God calls his people to be in, how we are to deal with those types of seasons and what it is that we shall do. And so I want to draw your attention beginning in verse 8 of Exodus 17, where the text says this, Then Amalek came and he fought with Israel at Rephidim. And one of the things that we see just in the beginning of Exodus 17, verse 8, is this was the first military skirmish that the people of Israel actually had to endure. It was the first time that they walked into battle in the midst of a people that were greater than them, that were more equipped. And that perhaps in this moment, the people of Israel felt overwhelmed. It was the beginning of the first of the long military campaign that Israel was to face. Now, the Amalekites, they were nomads. They were people who were used to roaming around and engaging in skirmishes. They were people that were equipped to, to fight battles. Their, their lineage traced back all the way to Jacob's brother Esau in Genesis chapter 36. And in the midst of this confrontation, there was great ethnic tension that existed between the Amalekites and the Israelites. These were a people who knew what it meant to hate each other deeply and to fight each other's battles over and over and over again. Then Amalek came and he fought with Israel. He engaged them. He antagonized them. He, they provoked them. A couple of things that I want to make note about within the culture and the day and the time in which we lived in the midst of this moment in Exodus 17 of these ethnic tensions, I think we would do well to be reminded of the truth of God's word first and foremost that there should not be amongst God's people any sort or type of ethnic tension. That what existed here in Exodus 17 should not be true of us first and foremost because of this truth that all people are created in God's image. 
We are image bearers amongst one another, created in his image to bear forth his name and his identity and, and who he is. All people are created in God's image. But, but secondly, I want to remind us this morning that Christians of other races aren't just equal to us. They are joined to us, according to Revelation 7-9. They're not just equal. The black and the yellow and the white and every shade in between, they are not just equal to us, but rather they are joined to us. That one day we labor for a vision in which we see that every tribe and nation and tongue bows down before a holy God and worships our Savior. And so we work and we long and we labor for that day. But thirdly, I think truthfully here in this moment, according to verse 8, then Amalek came and he fought with them. God does not show favoritism, but he accepts every nation, the one who fears him and who does what is right, according to Acts 10. That the goal is that we would worship and that we would bow down, that we would fear the Lord our God. These are the people that God, our God, that we sing these songs to today, that our God accepts and he brings in to his kingdom those that would worship him and those that would fear him and those that would do what is right. Then Amalek came and he fought with Israel. Verse 9 says, so Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Today I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Isn't it so interesting that almost as a matter of fact, God introduces Joshua, who many of us know almost just so casually. The Bible assumes that in this moment that we already knew who Joshua was. He was Moses' right-hand man. He was the field commander. He was the chosen friend. He was the one that would succeed Moses. And so in this moment, Moses says to Joshua, choose for us the bravest warriors that we have and go out and fight the, the Amalekites. And so he goes into the valley and he fights. And tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Verse 10, so Joshua did as Moses told him, and he fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill, whenever Moses held up his hand, it says that Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. And so in this moment, something supernaturally was occurring. As Moses lifted his hand, Israel succeeded. But as he lowered his hand, they began to, to lose ground and, and they began to encompass defeat. But some would say that Moses held up some sort of symbol that signified the presence of God in the camp in this very moment. Others would contend that Moses was performing some sort of magical ritual in this moment, that he was sort of saying this incantation, if you will, and he was conjuring up the will and the sovereignty of God. But in the text, we, we see no evidence of either one of these. But what we do see is a man who was deeply intimate and in communion with his God. 
And he walked with God out of that relationship and out of the overflow. And so that when he raised his hands, his men and, and his women, they succeeded in all that they did. What we see here in this verse as he lifts up his hands and he raises them and they experience success. And it says they prevailed over the Amalekites in verse 10. He, he prays and he walks in this moment. He stands with God. He communes with him. There is union in this moment with Moses and the Lord. It's deeply connected to Moses' prayer life and his walk with God and his intimacy that he has with God. Can I say to you that if you leave here tomorrow and try to prevail over a situation, an obstacle that exists within your life and, and you hold your hands up, and you pray and ask God for success, can I just be honest with you today and to remind you that you are not Moses. <laughs> Sometimes we get superstitious, if you will, when it comes to our own union with Christ. And we sometimes think that what we see here in the text in this moment is, is some sort of prescription for us as a people, that, that if we just followed to the T and, and we looked at the recipe, if you will, that somehow we will have the same success. Can I say to you gently and kindly and pastorally, prayer is not like a recipe where you can follow a set of instructions and everything turns out like it's supposed to. It's not just some magical formula. That the promise that God gives in, in this moment in Exodus 17 is not the same promise that perhaps applies to you. But what I can say to you this morning is that out of the overflow of Moses' relationship with the Lord as he prays and he lifts his hand and, and his countrymen succeed, he had a plan in which he was to pray. And can I tell you, this morning we will not grow in prayer unless we plan to pray. Amen. You will not grow in your intimacy with the Lord unless you have some sort of path, unless you have some sort of plan in which you are to execute, in which you are to walk. Moses had a plan and he prayed and he communed with God and, and he listened to the instructions of God and he prayed the word of God. You see, for you and I, as it was true for Moses in this moment, it's the same truth that exists for us today, that effective prayer is the fruit of a right relationship with God, not a technique to acquire blessings. It is the effect of walking closely with God. And there are men and, and there are individuals that would stand in pulpits and churches and tell you that if you just prayed this way and, and with this technique and, and said these things that somehow you will acquire some sort of blessing from God. Listen to me closely, effective prayer. It is simply the fruit of a right relationship, walking diligently with our God. It is the overflow of that relationship coming before him and, and humbling ourselves before his word and, and seeking to understand that word. 
It is the, the power behind uh, our, our, our it is the, is the truth behind the power that we have and the, and the existence that we have to proclaim the gospel to people that are far from God so that they might know him. It is the key to our intimacy with him. That we humble ourselves before his word and that we pray out of the overflow of those things that we know and that endear our hearts. It is the intimacy that exists. Intimacy with God is the source of our power to do a great work for God. Walking closely with him, friends. The source of our power here at 800 West Berry Street in Fort Worth, Texas has nothing to do with the man behind the pulpit or the teacher in the classroom or the person in the pew, but it has everything to do with God's people intimately engaging and pursuing the Lord our God, humbling ourselves collectively as a people before his word and and seeking after him in, in postures and in rhythms and in seasons of prayer, crying out to the Lord, asking him to intervene on our behalf, pleading with him, asking him to show himself, to to be strong and mighty, to be sovereign and and to be powerful. This is the, the secret behind the power of this church. Intimacy with our God is the source of our power to do a great work for God. And make no mistake about it, in the same sense in which Moses' ability within Exodus 17 uh, was able to, to demonstrate and to show the Israelites as they engaged in battle with the Amalekites, the victory that was before the people of God in this moment is the same truth that's applied to, to this church today in this very moment that our victories in life, they depend upon prayer. Because ultimately... The victory always, listen to me, it always depends upon our God. That we can't have enough talent and education and credentials and ability to win any kind of victory apart from the Spirit of God at work within our life. That we can't win any lost individual that is far from God and see them come to know Christ apart from the Spirit of God. That we can't be hospitable enough and kind enough and compassionate enough in in the midst of our classes and our small groups apart from the Spirit of God. To see those, listen to me, to see those that are far from God, that don't know Him, that don't understand what a saving relationship with Jesus Christ is all about. We can't see them come to know God apart from the Spirit of God at work within our life. We can't see lost souls redeemed in the midst of that. So Joshua, excuse me, did as Moses told him, and he fought with Amalek, and Moses and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And he holds his hand, and verse 12 says this, but Moses' hands, they eventually, as he holds them up, they grow weary. So they took a stone, and they put it under him, and, and he sat on it. And while Aaron and Hur held up his hands on one side and on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Many of you know that I have several kids, five kids, and I have two little ones. 
And oftentimes when we're going around to malls and to grocery stores, they, they walk around and I grab their hand and we were in a parking lot yesterday. And, and so I grabbed the hand of, of little Lucy who is about this tall. And, and I started to think just for a moment. And for about 20 minutes, I held her hand up like this. Now, you can only imagine just for a moment and, and this realization that really what I was doing was not protecting Lucy, but really what I was doing is I was working uh, her back muscles and her shoulder muscles in this moment because she walked around for about 25 minutes with both hands high in the air. Now, I want you to do something for me real quick. Just raise your hands up in the air just for a moment if you can do that, if you're as mobile. Now, I want you to hold that for the duration of this sermon here in just a moment. And this is what we do to our kids. Can you imagine just for a moment, for 20 to 25 minutes, walking around into a store and she's walking around like this the entire time. I would imagine that in five or six years, she has the biggest back muscles and shoulder muscles that could exist. But you can imagine just for a moment how, how tired and, and how weary you get just for a moment holding your hands up in the air. And so the scripture says this, that as he held his hands up in the air, they succeeded and they had victory. But as his hands grew weary just for a moment, and, and Moses was not some young buck. He wasn't 25 years old or 30 years old in the best shape of his life. He was later on in years. He was really what we affectionately call a boomer or a senior adult. And he grows weary. But then it says his two friends come beside him. And they hold his hands up. And they sit him down. And they say to him, essentially, what you can't do, we will do for you. And we will hold your hands for you. And we will pray with you. And we will pray alongside you. And we, Moses, as your friends, as your family, we will be with you in the midst of this. His hands grew weary and they take the stone and they put it under him and he sits on it. And Aaron and her, they hold up his hands one side on the other. And what this is, it's a picture. It's a picture of family. It's a picture of friendship. It's a picture of men coming alongside other men, women coming alongside other women and saying, what you can't do, I will do for you. It's a picture of the church in this moment. It's a picture of, of what the church really should be, is it not? That when we grow weary and we get tired, of holding our hands up in seasons of weariness, that we have friends and meaningful relationships that come alongside and, and they say, what you can't do, I will do for you. Amen. It's why we say here at Travis that circles are better than rows. We're grateful for the rows. And we're grateful that you're here and that you, you sit with us and that you listen and you humble yourself before God's word. But, but there's another step beyond just coming to church and just being a, an attender and, and just visiting. There, there's a next step that involves coming and, and investing in meaningful relationships and developing lifelong friends. That this is what God is doing in this moment of Exodus 17. 
He is calling us to this posture in this moment, just like Aaron and her, to to lift up the arms of those who are weak. You know as well as I do that over the past two and a half years, we have laid many uh, faithful members of this church to rest. We have seen them be called home to the Lord. And one of the testimonies that that I've seen over and over and over and over again, and I saw it this week, and and I believe that I'm going to see it in the weeks to follow. We have seen classes and small groups and, and friends come alongside other friends in meaningful ways to help carry their burdens. Friends, can I tell you this this morning, that this is what church is supposed to be. It's the example that Christ lays out for us. It's, it's the way in which we as a church family are, are supposed to walk, because make no mistake about it, we are a family. And so we come alongside and we lift up the hands of those who are weary and we walk beside them just like Jonathan did to King David. And the friendship that existed within that moment, having friends that we can cry with, who can walk and talk with us, and who can invest in us, who, who will force us even at times to say, listen, you, you need to slow down. You, you need to rest. You need to be with the Lord. You need to commune with him and, and you need to walk with him. Verse 14 says, and the Lord says to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And so, verse 15, Moses built an altar and he called, it, called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. It will be a contentious relationship. There will be ethnic and racial tensions that exist within this moment. But make no mistake about it, he says, Moses builds the altar and he calls it, The Lord is my banner. In this moment, what the Lord is doing in Exodus 17, this banner that he describes the Lord as being, what he is saying to them in this moment, as you look in the midst and as you engage in battle, what would happen with these warriors that Joshua would have conjured up and he would have brought up, they would would look to the side and they would see this banner or this flag that was off in the distance. And as long as that banner existed, As long as that banner was lifted high and and those who waged the war and fight the battle could see the banner, then the people of Israel knew that God was still with them. They knew that there was still hope in that moment. They knew that there was still a purpose in that moment. And so they would look to the banners and and those banners would establish, if you will, their identity as a people, their identity as an army. And God was with them, even in the midst of the, of the battlefield, even in the midst of that moment. And it would bring to them encouragement and it would bring to them hope. As long as their banner is flying, they knew that the battle was not lost. Friend, did you know today that the Lord is our banner? That the battle is not lost. 
that our identity does not come from the seasons that we exist in, from the obstacles that are before us, but rather what we do then in this moment as we look to the Lord, our God, who is our banner. He is the one in the midst of difficult circumstances that, that gives us hope. That tells us in this moment to, to keep walking forward, to take another step, to keep moving, if you will, to keep serving and, and to, to continue to, to move forward. Everyone has a banner that we look to for some sort of identity. And what the hope of the gospel is this morning is what Jesus is saying is don't look to those false identities to, to give you some sort of hope, but rather just simply look to me for I am your banner for I am your hope for I am your purpose I am your reason I am your everything in this moment to look to me and to see me the Lord our God in all of his goodness and all of his kindness in all of his sovereignty and all of his power, what he does in this moment is he, he looks to you, the sovereign God over all of the universe, over all that existed. And here's what he says to you this morning according to his word. He says, you are deeply loved by him. Amen. He says, you are deeply chosen by him. That you are instrumental in, in his work for the kingdom and, and to go about his business and to, to grow his kingdom and to make his namesake famous. You are redeemed by him. The God of the universe has redeemed you and he has reconciled you to himself. He says that in Christ you are forgiven Amen. by him. You've been brought into his family. You're not some stranger and some alien. You're not a sojourner. But rather God has said, you are, you are mine. That through repentance of sin, confession of sin, calling upon his name, you have been brought into his family. Amen. So would you today in this moment, would you go and would you be about his name and his kingdom and his purposes. Pray with me. Father, we come before you in the name of Christ and we thank you for the forgiveness that you have given us. We thank you for the truth of your gospel that you have reminded us that we are loved and chosen, that we have been redeemed and forgiven. We have been brought into your family. You are our banner. So Father, we keep our eyes upon you. Father, would you help us when we feel like we need to wander off in our own way, Father, would you give us grace and mercy? And for we ask these things in Christ's name and God's people said, Amen. Amen.